the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know people in our generation today that are exceedingly wealthy, but they don't consider themselves owners of that wealth. They do not live for their own pleasure. They live for the pleasure of God. You see, the issue isn't prosperity. The issue is priority. Oh, I like that. You get your priorities straight and contentment follows very quickly after that. Welcome to another edition of Study Verse by Verse with our teacher pastor, Leighton Sheely. He's the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. They're on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. And this is a nonprofit outreach of the church. If you'd like to join with them financially, you can do that on the website, studyversebyverse.com. He's taking us through the book of James, and as he often does, we're going to start today with a bit of a review. And we've mentioned previous, James is not so much concerned with a correct verbal expression or description of doctrine so much as he is with us living out our Christianity. He wants Christians to be better Christians. And it was written during one of the periods, the early periods of persecution in the church that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 8. Herod was out creating persecution for the church, had killed James, the brother of John, intended to do the same with Peter, but God intervened and had other plans for Peter. Uh, Being associated with Jesus Christ uh, was not a way to popularity, prosperity, power, and prestige. And so what James does in the first uh, words of his letter are to remind his brothers and sisters that they should not be surprised when they experience times of testing. And so as he prepares them for the inevitable tests before them, he's also preparing us as well by providing strategies to employ in times of testing. Now, briefly in review, we learned that joy doesn't come from the trials themselves, but from the good that God is going to bring from them. Remember how the writer of Hebrews describes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So it says plainly that Jesus endured, endured the cross. Why? Because of the joy set before Him. The joy was on the other side of the cross, not in the experience of the cross itself. God was going to take that horrible experience of injustice and bring something wonderful from it, and He did. Our salvation from sin was made possible because Jesus took the punishment of our sin upon Himself and carried it to Calvary's cross. God works all things, good, bad, ugly, all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, Romans 8, 28. Verse 3, James continues, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So testing produces steadfastness. It produces strength and stability. Remember the illustration of the butterfly that has to struggle to break out of its cocoon, but in that struggle, it builds the strength it needs in order to fly. And when you're in the midst of struggling, remember the butterfly. And remember what the Apostle Paul wrote. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Romans 8.18. And so when we handle these testings rightly, these struggles and suffering, it builds strength. But how do we handle them rightly? Well, we need wisdom. We need wisdom from God. Which is why James continues in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the Lord is not going to provide guidance to a double-minded person because it wouldn't do them any good anyway. They can't follow directions. They can't go in a direction. They're, they're like a wave that's just blown around by the wind. They're, they have a thought that pushes them towards belief, another thought that pushes them into disbelief. They're going this way and that. They can't be obedient. And, 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 and instead of being double-minded, we need to be single-minded. We need to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, these are uh, sections that we've dealt with in greater detail in previous weeks. They're available on highlands.us if you'd like to uh, review them. But let's continue our study today at verse 9, because having thus introduced the subject of testing, trials, and temptation in a very broad and general sense, James is now focusing on some specific examples of the kinds of tests that Christians will experience. And he he specifically is talking here about financial and social circumstance. Verse 9 Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So if, as as we think that, that James is writing this, in the persecution described in Acts chapter 8, people have been forced to move out of their homes, away from their businesses. They're in uh, tough financial situations. They're under social pressure, uh, ostracism. The word that's used to describe them is lowly, which really is, actually means humble and unimportant. But since it is used in contrast with the rich in verse 10, it, it not only means poor economically, it also means poor socially as well. It refers to someone who lacks material goods and is at the same time socially despised and rejected. The Septuagint uses the word to describe somebody who is considered of little value through the eyes of the world, in the world's evaluation, one who is oppressed by the world. And it's used in that sense in Mary's song of praise to the Lord the Magnificat in Luke chapter 1, where she reflects upon the belief, the, the, the faith, that, that God is going to sometimes reverse the fortune, and He's going to bring down rulers from their thrones, but lift up the humble. The word humble there is the same word lowly here in James. It describes somebody in lowly circumstances, whether it's financial and social as well. Now, having said that, it's important for us to be reminded that God does not dislike wealthy people. God does not like, dislike uh, wealthy people. Some of the greatest men and women of God have been incredibly, incredibly, incredibly wealthy. I'm thinking, for instance, of Abraham and David and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and Barnabas and Moses and Lydia, who was a dealer in purple, and, and that dye was used in royal attire. She was extremely wealthy. These were extremely wealthy people, and yet they were great men and women of God. You see, the issue is not wealth. 
The issue is what a person does with that wealth and how they perceive that wealth. Abraham was incredibly wealthy, incredibly wealthy. He could have built a grand and beautiful city. But as Hebrews 11 reveals, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Why? Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see, Abraham didn't want to build his own city. He wanted to live with God in God's city. He wanted to be with God. Moses was incredibly wealthy. He was an adopted son of an Egyptian princess when Egypt was at its pinnacle in world history. But power and privilege and prestige was not Moses' priority. Again, in Hebrews 11, it provides this insight. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. To his reward. So you see, the issue is not prosperity. The issue is priority. That Abraham and Moses were looking forward to the rewards of being faithful to God. I know people in our generation today that are exceedingly wealthy, as wealth is measured by the standards of this world, but they don't consider themselves owners of that wealth. They consider themselves stewards or managers of the wealth that God has entrusted to them. They do not live for their own pleasure. They live for the pleasure of God. They do not live for their own honor or prestige. They live for the honor and prestige of God. You see, the issue isn't prosperity. The issue is priority. You know, for people who are wealthy, there's a tendency to put their trust, their faith in their wealth as though the wealth is going to save them. And and James reminds the wealthy that wealth is fragile and it's transient. It can be lost all so quickly. And he uses the illustration of a crop being destroyed in a few hours, a crop in which the farmers put weeks into into planting the seeds and tilling and irrigating. And just in a few short hours, that crop is destroyed by the scorching heat of the calzone. Now, the calzone was a a wind that came off of the deserts. And it was so hot that it's described as though... Have you ever been in front of an oven and opened it up and gotten that blast of heat? That's what it's described as feeling like. And in just a couple of hours... It can reduce all of the moisture out of the air and out of the plants, and they shrivel up and they die. And this is a picture of what life for the rich, when they depend upon their wealth, can be like. A person who puts their trust in riches is trusting in things that can change at any moment. Life is uncertain. And no doubt at the back of James' mind is some passages from the Old Testament, like Isaiah 40, verse 6, "...all flesh is grass." And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people is grass. And then Psalm 103. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. And then Psalm 49 goes straight to the heart of the matter. It says, Do not be overawed when man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. 
His splendor will not descend with him. Or as my dad used to say, I've never seen a hearse towing a trailer. <laughs> Come into this world naked, we're going out in the same condition. You can't take it with us. You can't show up in front of judgment seat and trade with God. With whatever you've collected in this world is just not going to work. Well, if you've joined us late, you're listening to Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. He's the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, and he's taking uh, those of us in the listening audience and the congregation at Church of the Highlands through a study in the book of James, and we'll continue tomorrow. I'm Mike Trout. Thanks for joining us. This is a nonprofit outreach from the church, a gift from the congregation to you in the listening audience. And if you'd like to join with us financially, you can do that easily when you go to the website studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you come through the front door at Church of the Highlands, let uh, anyone there know that you listen. That would be such a great encouragement to us. Well, tomorrow, Pastor Layton will continue in the book of James. Each of us has our own desire. There's some bait or some lure that attracts us that we have an appetite for. And Satan is an expert on figuring out what bait or what lure works for you. You'll hear that and a whole lot more when we return with the next edition of our broadcast as Pastor Layton opens the Word of God and we study verse by verse.